You know what's cool? Podcasts. You know what's not cool? No podcasts. Check out all the podcasts over here at blindknowledge.com. This podcast you're listening to right now is a featured Blind Knowledge podcast. Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Joey B. Welcome back to another edition of the Blind Knowledge Podcast. It is Friday. It is a lovely day. It is springtime, and we are bringing you a new event, a brand new interview, I guess you could say, with the man, the myth, the legend. His name is John Rook. He's the voice of the Patriots. He is a journalist. He's director over at Dean College. If you know Dean College, you know that it's a good place to get your education on. If you don't, check him out at dean.edu. Uh, a little bit about me. I own and operate Blind Knowledge. BlindKnowledge.com is the spot. That's hot. We have podcasts, live streaming, videos. We have a blog coming on the way. We have 19 active podcasts and two more being added today. So if you want to check us out at BlindKnowledge.com, please do. And enough about me and more on to the man, the myth, and again, the legend. This guy, I look up to John Rook a lot because I'm a huge New England Patriots fan. I used to go as a kid with my grandfather, and now we get to learn more about him. So I'm going to bring him on right now. Mr. Rook, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for taking the time. It's, sure. uh, it's a big plus. It's a big plus for everybody, and we're going we're gonna to figure out who the dude is under the cap. <laughs> I got to ask you this right off the bat. How did you get the gig to be the voice of the Patriots? I don't think it's anything special, uh, but the, the true story is, is that it was, um, this was back in like 91, I think. I was actually had just been laid off from a TV job. And so I was working as a crowd host, if you will. Chuck Wilson was a longtime sports uh, talk radio host in uh, New England, and he was doing a live broadcast. Uh, of his radio show on WPRO in Providence. And the guys at PRO who had hired me already uh, the previous year, two years previous to that, as the uh, radio voice of Providence prior basketball team. And they knew that, you know, I'm looking for extra things to do. And they said, hey, why don't you come out and host the show uh, that Chuck is doing? Because it's a live broadcast. And, you know, and that way during the commercial breaks, or in commercial breaks, you can, you know, do trivia with the fans. You can interact, you know, whatever. Just come out and sure. have we'll pay you to do it, right? And okay. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I wanted something to do, so it kept me active. And it just so happened in the audience that night were three marketing executives for the Patriots. Oh, and wow. after the show was over, they pulled me aside and introduced themselves. And they had known, had known that I had covered the Patriots because I had worked at uh, what is now the CBS affiliate in Providence. And they said, uh, you know, so have you ever done public, you know, public speaking? And I said, well, yeah, I actually done quite a bit. And I had actually done some public address work uh, for a season in the NBA uh, before that. And they said, well, we, we love how you project and love how you interact with the fans. And so we're actually looking for a new uh, stadium voice, new public address announcer for Gillette Stadium. Uh, wow. Not for Gillette. Excuse me. This would have been 91. So this would have still been old Foxborough, Foxborough Stadium. Stadium. Yeah, yeah. With the metal benches. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. You remember those, right? Oh, and yeah. so uh we, uh, and so they said, so we're, we're, we're going to be auditioning. We're going to do auditions, right? Uh, but we want to make sure that you're a part of the audition because we really like you. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, one, nudge. Right, one of those. And so I said, I'm flattered. Sure, I'd be happy to do whatever you want me to do. So for uh, an exhibition game, uh, preseason game that year, they had me come in. And I think there were three other candidates at the time. We all did a quarter of the game, right? And so I, I got to do the quarter. And then the next week they contacted me and said, you're the guy, you're the one we want. And so 
I, awesome. I got it for, I think, starting in the 92 season. So I've been doing it for 31 years. Next year will be year 32 for me. 92. That's just before Drew came. Drew Bledsoe, right? Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I was Drew. there actually before the Crafts bought the team. Oh, wow. I was I was there for all of it, but I was there as well for you know you know Bill Parcells' arrival and you know all that stuff, which was really an amazing amazing time to yeah. see you know what previously had been a moribund franchise develop, but the the, the change uh, you know and the and the attitude around the entire franchise changed dramatically when uh, uh, Dwayne Charles Parcells arrived as head coach at that time. Dwayne Charles. Yep. <laughs> Interesting factoid there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the tuna himself. And so how long did you actually have that specific gig uh, as PA? Oh, I've still got it. You still have it. Okay. I wasn't I'm sure about that. I wasn't sure if you were still going into this yep. season being the, the PA announcer. Okay. Yes. That, this will be okay. year 32 for me. 32. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just, just the, just the, the fact that you have that gig and are able to like, that's just such a dream gig for anybody, not just a fan, but I think anybody that gets into voice acting and into audio, um, even like a musician would love yeah. that kind of gig. So man, I, I look up to you for that one. That, that's awesome. And, and I got to ask you this. So how, how has your career gone since then? Like, what have you done to turn that opportunity into new opportunities? How, how did the, how did your road kind of made uh, pave itself? Uh, bumpy, <laughs> wicked bumpy. Okay, but, that, but that's just, but see that's Joe. That's just the that's just the nature of the beast, you know. In the in the broadcast business, anybody who's spent any time in and around it knows that it 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 ebbs and flows. There are bumps in the road. There are really great times and there are really down times. There are times when you've got more work than you can shake a stick at, and then there are times when you're looking for work. Sure. Uh, so uh, that's just the, kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, and you have to be able to uh, to stick through it and kind of ride through, you know, those bumpy times in order to be able to make a career out of it. And I'm very fortunate that I've been doing this as a paid professional now for almost 47 years. And um, yeah, I, I started when I was I started when I was three years old. So, wow, <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> I started as a teenager in this business, right. and, you know, in the journalism business. And my first, my first on-air job was when I was nineteen, so that was forty-four, almost forty-five years ago. And you know, I'm sixty-three now, so that was something that I kind of fell into. And it's another story for another day, perhaps, or another moment. But no, uh, no, this I, is the moment, John. This well, is the okay. moment right now. <laughs> I'll be honest. Some of it is just kind of useless, you know, banter. But uh, the uh, to get back to your your original question, sure. um, falling into this, I started out in television. Uh, even though my background was in writing, I went to school on a journalism scholarship, and okay. I wanted to be a sports writer. And then I didn't really get into broadcasting until. Um, it was my night to lay out our, our newspaper at the University of Texas in Austin, which is where I went to school. And it was my night uh, as assistant sports editor of the Daily Texan to lay out the paper. And I got a release that night from the women's athletic department because back in the late 70s, the women's and men's athletic departments were separate. They were sort of segregated. This was just in the time right after Title IX uh, had uh, uh, you know, become prevalent and become law you know, in the country. And they were going to hold, the Women's Athletic Department was going to hold a campus-wide audition for the very first radio voice of the Texas women's basketball team, the Lady Longhorns. And I remember thinking at the time, I remember thinking, shoot, that would be a blast to do. 
even though I wasn't really a broadcast major, I was a journalism major. It was, but I had just finished an internship the summer before working for a very large radio station in Houston, KTRH radio in Houston. And so I said, yeah, you know what, what the hell I'll take a shot. I sent him an audition tape from some of the stuff that I had done at the radio station in Houston. And um, lo and behold, I got called in. The audition was there. I won the audition uh, which was amazing to me. And I was the very first voice of the Lady Longhorns back in 1979. And they were preseason ranked number one in the nation that year. Oh, so, wow. Um, wow. Yeah, and they ended up winning their first national title well after I, well, it was after I graduated. They won their first national title in 86, I think it was, uh, under Coach Conrad, who is a, a you know basketball Hall of Famer now. But um, that's how it really all started, to be honest with you. And that's what got wow. me into broadcasting. And then mostly I, I moved into television from radio after that, after I got out of school. Uh, and that's a whole for, different game, too. That's yeah, you're going well, from audio. It, it is. But that's what audio. I, when I got that job doing the radio, I'm like, you know, I think I really want to take a look at this whole broadcast thing. So I started taking TV stuff as well and doing radio broadcast, working with the campus station, doing all that stuff. And so I started taking the broadcast labs as well, the television, and discovered I really liked it, really enjoyed it. And some of my people that I looked up to in the business, Joey, were TV people, TV personalities, uh, you know, sports anchors at the time. The guy that I really sort of loved to model myself after at the time was a you know guy that I'm sure that you know your listeners will know, Vern Lundquist, who you know spent years and years at CBS as the voice of the SEC, yeah. still did some golf for them from time to time, yeah, yeah. did the PGA tour at a very high level for a long time. But Vern was the weeknight sports guy at WFAA Channel Eight in Dallas and the radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys at the time. And so I I thought you know what better job on the planet is there than the job that he had, right? Oh my God, and, yeah. Yeah, right? And so that's who I wanted to be and you know, followed him and a lot of other guys that were working in the Dallas-Fort Worth market where I grew up and went to high school, people that I really wanted to be like. So that's what I decided I wanted to study. And my first job in the business after I got out of school was as a uh, uh, sports reporter and anchor for the NBC station in Waco in Temple, Texas. Spent two great years in there and lightning struck. And it was mm. the right place, right time through context that you make. So really, uh, in all honesty, the way that you succeed in this business is by networking. You know, it's not, you know, what you know, but it's who it's who you know. And then of course the other end of that is who knows you. So I was big into that. I was always, you know, introducing shaking hands. We didn't have social media, we didn't even have we didn't have email back then, obviously. So it was really difficult to, to network other than meeting people face-to-face -face and going up there to them face-to-face -face and shaking their hand and going eyeball to eyeball and say, if there's anything I can ever do, let me know, right? That's how it worked. And then two years after being at that station in Waco, I was working in the NBA for the San Antonio Spurs. So that's how it kind of took off for me. Yeah, it took off like a rocket ship. Yeah. Wow. And you haven't, you haven't slowed down at all. <laughs> well, um, a little maybe, but it's because I found, you know, I found an area of the country that I, I really enjoyed being in. I mean, and you're talking to a kid who grew up in Texas and, you know, who went to the University of Texas. And, you know, I consider, you know, the home for my soul being, you know, in uh, Austin, Texas and in Fort Worth, Texas, where my family is still uh, largely located. But I've spent now 34, thir almost 35 years exactly here in um, the Northeast because I, I, I loved being in this medium area. I've worked in Providence, Boston, Hartford, New York, 
and they're all up and down I-95, real easy to get to, right? Yeah, that's so the whole span unique, right there. Yeah, it's a unique area of the country. Very few other geographic blocks of the country where you can say that you can do this. And I was just lucky to be in that position and know these people. And I happen to work in TV and radio and all of these markets. You know, I decided I wanted to stay here. You know, I had my kids here. You know, I met the love of my life here. Oh, I there you go. So, I mean, once you do it's that, all, it's game over. Yeah, exactly. And I got to admit, I got to be honest, you know, even though I was, you know, a Texan, you know, born and raised, love the great state of Texas, but I love living by the ocean, man. I do. Oh, the water. Yeah. I love living by the water. There's just something mesmerizing by it. And so there's nothing better than a Friday night out on the, out on the dock, you know, sipping a cold one and, and, oh, uh, yeah. and watching the sunset, man. That's, that's hard to beat. Once you've had it, it's hard to beat. Yeah, that sounds really good. A nice, nice boat ride by the dock, just kind of see the stars. It sounds, it sounds pretty nice for sure. Yeah, yeah, to totally, totally. So you were a big sports fan growing up, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I was total. What I would call, I was a geeky nerd. Geeky nerd, okay. <laughs> Back before it was cool. Yeah. Oh, no question. Look, yeah. I told this story to, to one of my students. In fact, earlier today, you know, because uh, I had class this morning, and I, uh, I, I mentioned to him, I said, "Look, you cannot." out geek me you can't there's just no way <laughs> because you know i love basketball and and I, I that's what i normally played and and uh but when i was preteen, early teen my grandmother allowed me to have one room in her house that she had set up really as kind of a sewing room you know and i got to put all my stuff up on the wall so i had Ooh. charts i had stats i had graphics i had you know uh photos i had newspaper articles I, it was you know I, it was crazy you know and um it, it was like um i was playing uh you know the, the part of the uh, princeton professor in a beautiful mind i had all this stuff you know that was <laughs> on the walls sure. and, and that's how i nerded out Right and, and, and so she let me do this and she nurtured that. And so I give my grandmother a lot of credit for allowing me to do that, to allow me to be a geek and, and to feel good about myself. And, and so I used a lot of that useless knowledge to, to get me started when I got into high school. I'm assuming big box score reader runs hits. Oh, yeah. I played, I played Stratomatic, dude. I played, you know, I'm rolling the dice and I'm playing Stratomatic and I was doing fantasy baseball before fantasy baseball. I was just going to, I was just going to ask you about fantasy baseball and, um, uh, you know, used to be huge and probably still is, is the trading cards. Oh my God. Yes. And when I finally figured out that they were better off being, uh, not being in the spokes of my bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When I figured out that, you know what, these might be worth something someday, I immediately took them out of the spokes and started learning how to preserve them. And the funny thing about it is, is that my brother, my younger brother, actually spent a number of years in the sports collectible business. Oh, wow. One of his business partners eh, about a decade and a half, maybe two decades ago, was Bobby Valentine. Wow. When And they, they first world. met and became business partners when Bobby Valentine was actually managing the Texas Rangers. Okay. Uh, and so, okay. Uh, yeah. And so I had a bunch of those cards that, you know, we kept and I gave off to him and he was able to make some, you know, some decent profit over the time. And my wife right now, she's got a hidden stash, believe it or not, of baseball cards of which, oh gosh, she's probably got a dozen or more that she could probably get rid of for three figures a card. Easy. Wow. I'll have to check the back end. Right. I, you know, and if we ever take the time to do that and, you know, and actually get the cards rated, then I think that, you know, they would probably actually be worth some good money. So fortunately for me, I, I married a big baseball fan and a big baseball card collector. So that helps.
That's fair. And being intertwined in the New England Patriots, you must get a chance to go, you know, mingle with some of the Sox and the, the upper echelon of the Sox, the players. Do you ever go over to Fenway just to kind of see the game? or? Yeah, we go to a few games a year. I don't really, you know, mingle so much with players only because as a as a member of the media, that's just sort of verboten. Oh, I mean, you know, because we, you know, cause we have access, you know, we have access that, you know, people don't usually get when you're a, a member of the credential media. I mean, have I become friendly with some guys over the years? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I can. But there's a line. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there's a line that you have to draw between you know being a friend and being professional. And so sure. you have what we call you know working professional relationships, which you know where you can be friendly, but you know, do we go out and you know and bust beers together? Do we you know have dinner at each other's house? No, 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 we don't do okay. that. Do I? You know, we certainly don't ask for autographs. I've never, you know, asked for anybody for, you know, a photo either. Of course, nowadays it's easy, right, with these to get selfies and things like that. But I, right. you just, you just don't do that because you're in a position that could put them at a disadvantage because they feel like, well, they're being a jerk if they don't say something to you. And yet you're in a position that, you know, people don't normally get. So I've never, ever, ever taken advantage of that. And I, I think most media people feel the same. Way. Yeah. Smart. Don't burst the bubble, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't want to, you, you don't ever want to put yourself in a position where you have to be critical of someone's performance after, you know, Hey, they just took the time to pose for a picture and give you an autograph. Now, how awkward is that going to be? And, and plus that, erodes your credibility as a member of the media. I mean, because if you're buddy buddy with someone, you can't do your job. And if you can't do yeah, you the can't job be very objective. You do, how are you going to have any credibility with your audience, your readership, right. your listenership, right? Right. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to give them the whole, you know, the nope. whole the story you'd, uh, nope. you'd be, you know, it'd be mixed. So we draw the line on, on that one. And so that's sort of the that's sort of the penance you pay for being, you know, relatively close to these guys. I mean I can tell you stories, uh, many stories of occasions where you know, I walk up and down the hallways at Gillette and, uh, you know, I'm bumping fists with Tom Brady or I'm stopping and talking for a moment to Bill Belichick or whomever. And, you know, and I, they don't really know me from Adam, but they know I hang around there a lot. So they always stop, you know, with a familiar face or a familiar voice in my case. And then you yeah. move on and you got to do your thing. So. John, you have um, a pretty cool role over at Dean College, where you're a director of. Well, what is the what's your actual title over there? It's, so uh, it's, it's it's kind of un, uh, unwieldy. So I'm, you know, but, <laughs> it's yeah. long. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't, don't, don't want to mess it up. It either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I'm director of the Center for Business Entertainment and Sport Management. And, Very cool. And, uh, Dean was uh, you know kind enough to uh, bring me in. I'd spent. The previous 10 years, first 10 years of my teaching career at Emerson College in Boston, which oh, is great well known for communications arts, right? Yeah, great school. Yeah. And and so Dean brought me in in 2015 to head up this Center for Business, Entertainment, and Sport Management. And that really is because uh, we have sport management, uh, we have uh, sports marketing, and we have communications and sports broadcasting, all as majors which is a little unusual because Dean is a very small liberal arts school. If you don't know anything about it, we've only got 1,200 undergraduate students right. uh, located in little bucolic Franklin, Massachusetts. Lovely Franklin, yeah. Lovely Franklin. It's just across the border uh, in northern Rhode Island from like Woonsocket, Rhode Island. If you're looking for a geographic you know, location here, uh, Franklin is right on the T coming out of Boston, heading westward. So it's a great little town. The campus is beautiful. It, it's what you would consider if you think – Quintessential New England liberal arts college, red brick, Ivy. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. That's, it, that's, but that's what it is. And it's a gorgeous little school. And you know, eight years ago or so, they made, uh, 10 years ago, actually, is when it first started, uh, they made the, the decision that we want to get into sports. Hmm. We want to teach sports because the business of sports has grown exponentially, you know, not only in this country, but all over the world, as we all know. Uh, it's it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Now, 30 or 40 years ago, sports was an afterthought. Sports, you know, you could make a little money, but most business people looked at sports with somewhat of a bemused attitude and just kind of like, ah, we're not going to take it seriously. You know, it's kind of like it was, it, sports was considered the toy department of life, right? Mm. You know, it's just, it just, hey, okay, well, it's just sports, right? But people realize now that you can make serious quid in the sports world. Serious. I mean, sure. millions, billions of dollars. I mean, what do, you think, what do you think college athletes now are getting paid through, you know, name, image, and likeness money? There are millionaire yeah. college athletes right now. It's, it's amazing. It's, there's just more money than you, anybody is really aware of. And so Dean wanted to teach this. You know, there's there are jobs out here in this professional industry. There are jobs here where people can actually do quite well in the sports industry through marketing, through promotions, through uh, communications, you know, through management, through coaching, through scouting, through athletic training, through so many different aspects of sports. Dean did this and they approached the Patriots and they're like, you know, uh, how could we work together? How could we help you, you know, build your own workforce? And the Kraft family, to their credit, man, they're like, that's a great idea. We should do that. And so they announced this partnership, uh, the fir a first of its kind academic partnership between uh, a, a local school and an NFL franchise. We are the first NFL team to do this, right? and first school to do this with an NFL team. Uh, and then they hired me soon thereafter to manage this partnership, this relationship. And so it's all about creating our opportunities for our students who come to Dean, who want to work and learn in any of these uh, particular industries. Of course, we open up our academic partnerships to a lot of other entities as well. You know, hockey, baseball, basketball, businesses, all kinds of things all over the place, but that, that are all touched somewhat by sports and athletics. And so that's kind of what I do is I manage this partnership for our students. I place our students and help position them in internships. And I teach curriculum. You know, we're, um, uh, we have a sports broadcasting uh, uh, major. Uh, at Dean, one of the smallest schools in the country to have that, but we're able to do that because of, of me being there and the people that I have, you know, so my goal has been to make Dean College in Franklin, Massachusetts. Yeah. A small school version really of, you know, some of those powerhouses that are out there, like yeah, go you know, Bulldogs Northwestern and Missouri and Syracuse and, you know, in, in some of the big time schools that are out there in my own alma mater, Texas, all of these are all large schools, but why can't the small school do it? Largely because the small school, as I'm sure you're aware, Joe, a small school sometimes doesn't have the uh, the personnel or or the the infrastructure in place in order to be able to sustain a program like that. Mm -hmm. We have that at Dean. We have a campus radio station. We have our digital television studios. Uh, we have someone who has you know connections and the wherewithal within the industry. Myself and the other and the other uh, professors that I work with, we're all active in the business. We're all still active in the business. So mm -hmm. I can't think of a, of a school right now that has more street cred, really, in terms of people who are actively working in the business than what we have at Dean. And there are some great programs out there. 
I mean, UMass has a great sports marketing program. BU and Northeastern have very good, you know, communications programs in Boston. Emerson obviously has a huge communications program in Boston. Uh, you know, we they have a good comm program at University of Rhode Island as well. But I don't think any of those beat what we do from top to bottom just because of the personnel we have and the opportunities we offer and the relationships professionally that we've aligned with. It seems like it's close knit. You know, you have very hands on. It must be hands on with such a small amount of, um, you know, it's just it's just a small uh, program. We, we are we are very much roll up the sleeves and go to work. You go right in there. Yeah, I noticed you guys already have some uh, some students that are doing Providence hockey. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. Wow. Uh, I have uh, students on Friday nights uh, who call hockey for the Providence Bruins in the American Hockey League and. For those that aren't aware, the you know Providence Bruins are the AHL affiliate for the Boston Bruins. It's like AAA baseball. Yeah, right. It's, right. it's AAA hockey, and I have students that call games on Friday nights. Yeah, so you know they train, they study, they work at it, and you know we're not going to you know put students out there that can't do the job. But I've got two or three kids who are they could go to work in the pros tomorrow. They're ready to roll, and that's what really? we. Our students do all the work. Our students, you know, we they do all of our. You know, we have. You know, uh, you know, we're an NCAA Division three athletic department, so uh, our students call football, basketball, baseball, softball, uh, lacrosse, field hockey, soccer, everything, and hockey. Even though we don't have a hockey program at Dean, we align ourselves with, because we have a lot of students who either play in hockey uh, who are, who are interested in hockey because, hey, we're in the Northeast, right? And um, so we have aligned ourselves with several, you know, junior programs as well, in addition to mm -hmm. the, uh, the AHL Providence Bruins. And our students are getting hockey play-by-play -play experience all over the place. So it's working out real well. Well, it's exciting stuff. Now, how hands-on are you? Are you an actual professor there as well? Mm -hmm. Or do you have, like, actual alternate professors comes in or, oh. or special guests? Oh, all of the above. I, I, yeah. I run a sports broadcasting program at Dean. Uh, so we have right now, again, you're talking about, uh, you know, about 11 to 1200 undergraduate students at Dean. Uh, our communications program has about 10% of those. And out of those, uh, out of that 10%, we've got between 50 and 60 sports broadcasting majors. So okay. we've got, you know, some, some burgeoning, uh, you know, uh, Joe Bucks, and, and, you know, there you know, <laughs> are some, yeah, some women and men in the, in the bullpen. Ready yes. to go. Yes, we do. And, well, you know, and, and, you know, these kids are all, you know, out in the summertime working in summer baseball programs. I just, uh, you know, one of my former students just got a job as the play by play voice of the uh, minor league baseball team in uh, uh, High Point, North Carolina. Well, that's great. Home. It sounds like a great opportunity for yeah. the students as well. I want to swing back over more to your career just so we can learn a little bit more and hopefully inspire some of these students of yours. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe they'll check us out right here on the Blind Knowledge Podcast. Shout out to you guys over there at Dean College. But can you give us, I don't know, maybe two or th three really spectacular highlight moments within your career? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very lucky to work for an organization uh, that's won six Super Bowls. So in my time, I've actually hosted and been at the mic for eight AFC championship games. And wow. seven of those we've won. So each of those have been, you know, signature moments for me. I would just, and I was just mentioning, in fact, the, one of the first ones that I did back when the, the Patriots, uh, 2001, 2002, so it would have been 2002. So it would have been the first year at Gillette Stadium for the, um, the season opener that year, you know, when, you know, you play the, the Thursday night game, right? 
Sir Elton John was the, the musical guest at Gillette. He made the appearance there. And uh, I believe the game we were broadcasting on, I, I want to say it was on ABC. I can't remember at the time if it was an ABC game, ESPN ABC game. Sorry, they got Elton John up in the air with his piano. You know, he's he's up on <laughs> above the the uh, he's he's above the end zone, you know, uh, overlooking where actually where the Optum Club is now. If you know anything about yeah, Gillette, yeah, yeah, and, and you know all the spotlights are on, and so I had to wait for a cue from ABC, and so I'm going live to a worldwide audience introducing Sir Elton John. That's and, so cool. and I got to admit, so cool. I mean, that that still gives me chills thinking that I got a chance to do that. And That's the kind of stuff I was wondering and hoping yeah. for with this question, because that is like a life changing highlight moment. Whether sure. you are a sports broadcaster, journalist, or just a person in general sure. doing whatever, tra picking up trash, if you're able to see a highlight moment like that, that is huge. All right, give me another one, John. What do, what else we got here? Uh, well, that moment actually led me to you know getting other uh, voiceover work, you know. Uh, with NBC, with ESPN, with with several other entities, so that was a, a perk in itself. Just because you know you you're working with cues, you're working with producers, then like, hey, you sound good. I got a project that I, you might be interested in, and so that kind of started, you know, uh, you know, some voiceover stuff, and and that's something that I'll probably try to look to do a little bit more of uh, when I'm I trying to get into that world myself, broadcasting and teaching, because you can kind of do it almost a little bit on your on your own time, or at least more so on your own time. Um, you know, as a broadcaster, uh, you know, I, you know, for Providence College in the Big East, it's you know, major college, high major Division One basketball. I'd have to say that the Friars winning Big East championships and and the team being in the NCAA tournament, those are all signature moments. When I was a younger man, uh, in fact, it was my first year uh, as an announcer for the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA. I'm all of 23 years old when I got this job, but it was a good, you know, right place, right time. Uh, took advantage of it, and it was the night that the Spurs uh, clinched the Midwest Division Championship. So it was my first taste of winning a title. And this for the Spurs, you know, if you know anything about you know the Spurs or the NBA back in that early '80s time frame, they were already successful, but they were winning division titles. They were getting to the to the conference finals, and they couldn't beat the Lakers. Mm -hmm. Couldn't beat the Lakers. Now the Spurs have actually ended up. They've won what four NBA championships, I think, since that point in time. But that was well after. Unfortunately, I left the team and moved up to the Northeast. But um, uh, they were becoming old hat at that, so it wasn't any big deal. They were trying to treat it as you know, hey, been there, done that, right? So I went into the locker room right after I got off the air, and uh, because one of the marketing guys said, hey, you know, I need you in the locker room. Can you come in and, and help me out with something? I'm like, sure, you know, because. Back then, you know, you helped that everywhere. It was really a mom and pop shop, the way that they ran things. But I enjoyed it because I learned so much about how a professional franchise is run, right? And so I go into the locker room and George Gervin, the Iceman himself, he's sitting, you know, he's standing right there in his locker. I, I think he, you know, there was no like celebration. There wasn't any like, you know, stuff. There was no thing. You know, these guys were like, they were pros. And I was so in awe of that. <laughs> And my buddy was over standing next to, to Ice. So Ice is sitting there and, uh, you know, and so I said, hey, congratulations, Ice. Uh, and so he says, you want a picture? Well, let me see, you know, do I want a picture? That's a loaded question. But I said, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. He's like, eh, you work for the team. So Jim, uh, my, my buddy, the marketing guy, he, 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 he has the, the camera in hand already. And I'm sensing a setup because I see guys start to hover. 
around where we're, we're, we're doing, you know, the, the photo. And so Ice and I are taking this picture and I'm, you know, shaking him with the soul brother handshake. Right. And then as soon as Jim snaps it, he goes, okay, we're good. Immediately. Boom. The guys start jumping and yelling and I get doused with champagne Whoa. and beer. And, and that's when the celebration starts. Sure. Wow. And I, I did, you know, and of course I'm wearing a tie and a blazer. And of course, oh, you didn't have a poncho on. Oh, I, I, that's, I had my, you know, my work clothes on because I had just gotten off the television oh broadcast. I was doing the, the cable TV coverage of the Spurs when they clinched, you know, the Midwest division title that night. And so it was, it was a setup. They just said, Hey, let me call, let me call the rookie in here. Cause I was the rookie to everybody. And I'm always the rookie with a last name like I got. Right. And, uh, they, set it up for me. And it was one of the most memorable <laughs> moments I will ever have that, you know, I got doused with beer and champagne by the Spurs when they, they won the Midwest division title in 1983, 1983. Wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. You know, and even through, uh, even through a moment like that, you still go to celebrations even to this day. You try to act like you've been there, you know? Yes. And, and, and that's, you know, and I, I think that's, you know, the way that you should do it, but I, I, it never gets old. It never gets, I mean, everything that we've done, every championship game, you know, that we've hosted at Gillette, every game that I get a chance to broadcast in the postseason, you know, on radio or TV, uh, you know, everything that we do, it's it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. It's truly been a, a, a perk professionally to me. And I will never, ever, ever take it for granted because so many people don't get a chance to experience that. I'm one of the very lucky ones. That's a beautiful thing right there. How about some inspiration or, or some advice for any inspire, us, aspiring uh, broadcasters, voiceover, um, voiceovers? I don't know sure. what the proper linguistics is there, but sure. you know, just someone trying to get into the industry or maybe is in, in the industry, maybe working on Fiverr, Upwork, just trying to find work. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. what, what kind of advice would you give them? Network your ass off. I, I, I really can't put it any more succinctly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so much easier nowadays to, to network, you know, with the internet. So you can, you know, do that, you know, through social media, you know, as long as you can take social media, you know, seriously for a moment or two, because obviously a lot of people use it to, to goof on others and to pick on others and use it for the wrong reasons. But social media is a great tool. LinkedIn is a marvelous tool. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes. so, so I, I try to connect with as many people. I usually don't turn down requests on LinkedIn, even if I don't know people, because I know people want to make professional connections and you just don't know when you might be able to use somebody yourself. You don't know yeah. when you might be able to connect with somebody that might be able to help you. And I find that people like to connect. Yeah. So, you know, LinkedIn is great. And then, you know, and then I use Twitter professionally. Twitter can be a cesspool sometimes, just like all of them <laughs> yeah. can be. But but I use Twitter professionally, and I try to keep things above board. And I found that I, I don't, you know, follow every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry out there. But at the same time, I wouldn't expect everyone to follow me either, unless you felt like you could gain some use from following me. And and look, I use social media for entertainment purposes, like everybody. I do. Some of them, you know, really make me, you know, hashtag LOL, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and I love it, and and it's fun because it's a great way to spend some idle time, but I try not to get too caught up in it. And I remember that I'm there for a reason. I am there for a professional purpose as well. So, you know, and of course, Twitter is where a lot of news outlets and news entities break stories anyway. And so that's why I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter, but between Twitter and LinkedIn, yeah, I keep a Facebook profile profile. Yes, I have an Instagram profile, but that's about as much as I can handle. I never got onto TikTok and I'll tell you why. 
I just don't have the time for it. You don't strike me as a TikToker, although well, it would be an interesting. Uh, you know, all of my students are on, all, all of my students are on TikTok because that's just yeah. Today yeah, it's that, all that about TikTok. They're, they're all TikTokers, and yeah. I get it. But I tell them, guys, I, I've got more than I can handle. So if you want to reach me on social media, best thing I can tell you is is either a get a Twitter handle or b follow me on, on Instagram. You know, yeah. and 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 then then we can converse that way, and we can do business that way, and we can share that way, we can promote that way. But I find that Instagram is probably at least a a sort of a medium ground. I'm not you know so square that you know uh, I, I mean I do have a Facebook profile, but I use I use my Facebook mostly for personal stuff. You know, sure, sure. Um, and I find that most old people, quote unquote old, they use Facebook still for that as well. But I know a lot of people aren't on Facebook because of that, because younger people tend to go to more some of the newer social media uh, outlets that are out there, which is fine. So I find that Instagram is kind of halfway in between, which is why I keep a, an active you know Instagram profile and try to go that route. But I didn't get on Snapchat, didn't get on. I don't I, I won't do TikTok. Yeah. Um, and it's not because I hate it. I just don't have the time for it. I feel like if I'm going to put an effort into it, I need to put some effort into it and keep up the profile, mm -hmm. you know, incentivize somebody to actually follow me. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel like I could do that, I'm not going to waste your time as well as mine. So that's why I chose, I keep Facebook for personal stuff, even though some professional stuff to slide over uh, and then uh, Twitter and Instagram for, uh, and, and LinkedIn. I should consider LinkedIn because it is social media as well. Uh, and LinkedIn is all professional. It's strictly professional, which is what I like about it. So I would say network using, you know, your social media profiles like that and reach out to people. But don't reach out to people and say, hey, can I have a job? Yeah. Not the way to do it. Reach out to people and say, you know, hey, I really, you know, love what you do. Followed you for a while. And hopefully you have. And you're not, you know, like, you know, lying to them. And just say, hey, you know, you got any advice for someone who's trying to break into this? You know, engage people. That's really all you need to do, you know, uh, because a lot of people love to give their opinions. A lot of people love to give their opinions. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. You a lot of belly that. buttons. A lot right. of belly so buttons. Just engage them. Ask them their opinion. And you'd be surprised at how many people would love to give you their take. And, 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 uh, I think in that, in that instance, then if you develop some kind of relationship, uh, and something pops and they remember you from a previous occasion, Hey, guess what? You're already halfway ahead of the game. This is how you get gigs. Oh, that's good advice. I'm actually going to take on some of that advice because I'm you always should. looking to, um, get further into this industry and, and see if I can make it, um, you know, an ongoing full-time career. John Rook, I'm going to let you go, man, because I know you got things to do. And I so appreciate you taking the time. I'm so glad we could finally get this to happen. Well, um, I'm, 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 I'm privileged you. you asked me. So thank you for the time. And thank you for the, the great line of questioning and the chance to you know promote what we do at Dean and a little about what I still do professionally. I've had a great ride. I'm, I'm looking forward to a few more years. And hey, if I can help, by all means, um, you can follow me on Twitter at JR Broadcaster, right? That's also my handle on Instagram at JR Broadcaster. Find me on LinkedIn too. You want to find me on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to, you know, to, to hook up with you that way. And, and uh, you know, like I said, that's a great tool to do that. And I am all about networking. That's one thing that I, I really preach. So I'm happy to be a, a contact for, for anybody that feels like they want a little bit of a boost, you know, in their, uh, in their uh, uh, industry travels. That's amazing. All right, everybody, John Ruck, we're going to let him go right now. John, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Joe. It's been my 
There he goes. There he goes. Wow. That's a guy that I look up to and had to look up to because I used to go to Patriots games as a kid with my grandfather, my uncle, you know, and it's like, who's doing the voiceovers? Who's that guy in the loudspeaker? For another Patriots first down, that was John Rook, man. He's a broadcaster. He's the voice of Patriots. He's a journalist. He's an all-around good fellow, and he's over at Dean College, too. Check out Dean College if you look to get into broadcasting. This has been another edition, another episode, another groovy time here on the Blind Knowledge Podcast. Check us out over at blindknowledge.com. My name is Joey B. I am going to go. Check you next time. Entitled to see movies that don't suck. I would tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking again. I was not expecting that. After you've scrubbed all the floors in Hyrule, then we can talk about mercy. Take him away. No! We are going to die. My <laughs> <laughs> ship sails in the morning. I wonder what's for dinner. It's a jackdaw. Join your host Cam Sully each week as he chats with special guests to discuss many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Thank you, thank you so much, so, so very much. This is the Reverend Jackson Fetalbush Beetle. That's Jackson Fetalbush Beetle. And our rave reviews, rave reviews for a new collective. A new vision, shall we say. They're called Blind Knowledge. BlindKnowledge.com is where you can find these folks. And let me tell you something, my brothers and my sisters and my non-identifying friends. I love this content. I love their channels. I love their presentation, if you will. So check them out. BlindKnowledge. BlindKnowledge.com. Coming to a screen near you. Oh, Lord and Lord.
Hi there, my name is Chris. I'm the host of the Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. I'm a firm believer that a cult movie can come from any time period, any director, any movie studio, and covers a wide variety of genres, often within one single movie. It's all about the legacy that these movies have built up over time. Tune into the Cult Film Companion, and remember to keep it cult. But don't drink the Kool-Aid, because it'll make you sick. Or kill you. Take care.